You are listening to the She Is A VIP podcast. This is a show created for women living with or caring for someone who is visually impaired. The She Is A VIP community is made up of women who believe that their VIP status stretches far beyond their visual impairment. We are a community who understand that we are very important people who hold a very important place in the world and that we have a very important purpose to fulfill. I'm Bambi French, and if you are ready to shine a light on your status as a VIP, download, subscribe, and join me each and every week for the encouragement and inspiration you need to help you step into all that you have been created to be. Hi, it's Bambi, and welcome to this episode of the podcast. Just in case you don't know what She is a VIP is about, here is a brief overview. This community is made up of women who are living with a visual impairment or are caring for someone with sight loss. The mission of She is a VIP is to inspire, encourage and empower women and girls to live a life that is not defined by their limitations. If this is making sense to you and you want to know more, you can go to the website at sheisavip.com and there you'll find all the information you need. I recently had a conversation with Ella Mansfield on the Agents of Hope podcast, which is a show that is primarily for people who are working or are looking to work in the field of educational psychology. But many of the listeners include a wide range of people, for example, teachers and parents who are involved in the education and care of children and young people who have additional needs. I wanted to release this episode because not only does it give me yet another opportunity to tell my story, but it also helps me to clarify and hopefully helps you understand a bit more about the vision behind She is a VIP. Let's get into today's episode. Hello and welcome to Agents of Hope. My name is Ella Mansfield and this is the third and final episode in the Understanding Voices mini-series. Today, we're in for something a little bit different. I'm joined by Bambi French, uh, who's my first non-educational psychologist guest. Bambi is a SENCO at Mainstream Secondary School, and she's also a visual impairment activist and coach, and hosts a podcast called She Is VIP, a link for which I'll uh, I'll put in the description, because it's well worth a listen. So, Bambi, hi. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Ella. Thanks for having me today. No problem at all. It's nice to have you. So, what shall we start with today? You're obviously a woman of many talents. Um, (laughs) Where would you like to start? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, many talents. I can sing for you. I could dance, although you wouldn't be able to see that. I guess, well, but my story, my background, and we can start from there. Yeah, it's so I am a Senko in a mainstream secondary, as you've, as you've already said. I have been doing that work for about 12 years now in a couple of different secondary schools within the northeast of England. But my interest in special needs, I suppose, started when I had just finished university and did some work in some special needs schools, you know, at that point at university where you finish your degree and you're not quite sure what you want to do but I knew I wanted to work with kids and work in caring for children in some way so just went into doing some work with children with special needs and just really 
it developed from there. I am somebody with additional needs. I, I do have a visual impairment. I was diagnosed when I was 15 years old with a disease called Stargardt's, which affects my central vision. So seeing distance and detail is something that's quite difficult for me. So I was that kid or one of those kids at school with a statement of special educational needs, which is what it was called at that time, and needed all of the additional support in order to be able to access the curriculum and all of the different things around school. So I feel like I had first-hand insight into what it was like to be a child in school with additional needs and really just wanted to be able to use my own personal experience to help other children and families kind of navigate the difficulties that can come with living with a disability and trying to do all the things that school and society kind of demands from from you. That's kind of my story in a nutshell, I suppose. So you mentioned that you were a person with with additional needs, uh, visual impairment. I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about what that might have been like from sort of an activist point of view, in that you're now trying to help people with visual impairments, maybe whether they're at school or, you know, like older people in the workplace. I'm just wondering, were you diagnosed with that when you were at school and did it have an impact on you then? Yeah, so I was diagnosed at uh, 15. I, I think when I when I think back, I, I was, the condition was developing around the age of 10, 11 years old, because I specifically remember transferring to secondary school and not being able I was sat at the back because we were sat in alphabetical order and at the time my my name meant that I was sitting right at the back and I remember not being able to see very well and that was you know still in a time when there was chalk and the blackboard you know so I remember not missing quite a bit of information but not really understanding why so yeah it did have quite a major effect because I think at that time you just want to fit in you just want to be like everybody else and do what everyone else is doing and then to discover that you have a condition that is not something that can be treated by just wearing glasses or getting laser treatment wearing contacts all of those sorts of things but something that's going to have quite a significant impact on the way in which you do life it it was it was really hard being diagnosed at 15 you know, by that age, I was thinking, well, I might be able to drive a car and do do all the things that all, you know, the, the other kids around me were doing. And then to be told, actually, you're not going to do that. It's not great because you've you've kind of built up in your mind how your life's going to be when you suddenly become independent and you can do you can go where you want to go and do the things you want to do without the help of of your parents or, or anyone else. I think the other thing as well was that I was very independent up until that point. And then to suddenly have to have to have all of this help, you know, within school, especially having someone sit with me to take the notes from the board and to have enlarged papers, because at the time technology wasn't as advanced as it is now. In order for me to be able to access what was going on, I had these huge A3 pieces of paper that were all over my desk. So it was very, it was, there was no way of hiding the fact that I couldn't, I couldn't see. Everybody knew and I felt very conspicuous and just yeah, just different. And you don't want to be different at really at that age, because you're just trying to fit in and get through the best you can. So it was, it was difficult. Yeah. So that that difference and kind of being sort of outed, I suppose, by by the equipment and the things that you needed, it sounds like it was very difficult for you at the time. 
I know that you've you've spoken quite a lot. Obviously, before we started recording, we had we had a chat about things, and I've I've listened to you explaining things on your podcast. You talk quite a lot about identity and sort of what it means, I suppose, to be a person who has a visual impairment. I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, there's um I suppose with with the podcast and what what I'm trying to do is to help people with with a visual impairment understand that there's there is more to them than the disability i think the idea of having a disability or or additional needs can be all consuming sometimes because you're so focused on the thing that you can't do and the things that a particular disability stops you from being able to do but it's understanding that you're more than that. People will say, oh, yeah, but that's a, a given. Yeah, everybody knows that they're more than the one thing that they find is a negative in their lives or, or that they find difficult. But actually, it's something that you have to really work to understand because when you have a disability like a visual impairment, it can be so difficult to do life and do it well and to keep on doing it in spite of that physical difficulty because every day you're confronted with the thing that you find most difficult or that it takes a little bit longer to do something because of the difficulty that that you face. I look at my focus as people with visual impairments but I look at everyone with a disability and say well how is it that you are understanding all of you? How is it that you are understanding what it is you're good at what are your strengths what what are the skills what is it that you bring to the table we talk a lot about inclusion and how we can include people with additional needs in what we're doing but how do we as people with additional needs include ourselves in what's going on as well we can stay in our little groups and we can form groups around um, whether it's visual impairment or autism or or, or those things and, that, and that's really good but at the same time, how do we include ourselves in what is going on? And yeah, the, the whole idea of, of identity and who I am and who we all are as individuals and then as a collective is, is really important. Yeah, definitely. I love that idea of celebrating people like me and Atta, sort of what, what's going on. I think that it's, it's something that I've seen a fair amount with other kind of diagnoses um, you know, with, with autism and uh, for me with ADHD, something that I've spoken to, to guests on the Understanding Voices miniseries quite often is that identity and how you label yourself and you kind of take on the stereotypes that other people put on you, which seems completely unfair, particularly for, for young people and children where they've just kind of been lumped with this new idea of themselves and how, how do they yeah. fit into that category and how don't they? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, the other thing I wanted to say about identity is that you can, just from working with the families that I've worked with and, and also myself, being diagnosed with, with a disability can either add positively or negatively to your identity, depending on how you already see yourself. As a black woman, you know, you can already, as an ethnic minority woman, you're already starting to think, well, I have to work a little bit harder to to get to where where I want to be and you know things are going to be a little bit more difficult for me because of the way in which pe people see me so then to be to ha to be an ethnic minority to then have a disability you're then starting to tick off all of the things that could potentially count against you know you as a as a person and as and being able to to move forward in the same way 
when I work with children from low socioeconomic backgrounds who then have additional needs on top of that, it can add to their idea about who they are and can actually lower their self-esteem. And what it is I'm trying to do is, is, is helping people actually raise that, raise that self-esteem that of being diagnosed with any kind of disability doesn't have to add to the maybe the negative view of, of the identity that you that you have or that someone else has of you that there's a lot more positive in that than yeah. there is negative absolutely and I think with your podcast you just put forward such an important message so I wonder if you could just tell the listeners a little bit about about what you do there yeah so she is a VIP was born out of partly frustration on my, on my part <laughs> of thinking that actually in the last 25, 30 years, I'm not sure whether I've seen a big, as big a shift as I thought I, w- I would like to have seen in the way that people are diagnosed and then what happens next. Mm-hmm how they feel about themselves, you know, we've just been talking about identity, how they feel about themselves and, and what they feel is possible and what, what they can achieve, you know. You can hear all the motivational speeches and you can listen to all the podcasts and read the books and things like that. So you can, you can, you can. But at the same time, how many understand what it means to actually live with that difficulty there's there's kind of work to be done if you live with a with a disability already and 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 know that there are certain things you can't do mm-hmm. so it's been born out of that on the one hand and on the other hand it's it's based around my story you know when I was diagnosed at, at 15 I, I just vividly remember walking out of the hospital having received that diagnosis and being told you might be blind by the time you're 30, you won't be able to do this, you won't be able to do that, you're going to find this difficult. And I remember just walking out with my mum and thinking, what, who, you know, what's going to happen, what's going to happen now? Mm-hmm. You know, what am I going to be able to do now? Who's going to help me? Does any, does anyone even, and you know, I walked out of the, house, the hospital in London, in King's Cross, King's Cross is like the busiest place, what, what felt like the busiest place on earth at that point. Mm. <laughs> and it was getting dark and, I, and, I, and you just, I just had that sense that no one could see me. Yeah. No one could see me and nobody knew. Yeah, okay, well, I could have, I don't know, stood on a wall and shouted, this is what I've got. But it felt really, really small and really insignificant in that moment and thought, I'm not going to be able to do any of the things that I thought I was going to be able to do um, and live the life I thought I was going to be able to live. And yes, since then, I've gone on and I've done degrees and advanced in, in my career and, and, done, and done well, not without frustration, but I've done those things. But what I'm seeing in my work now is me at 15 again and again and again through the children and the families that I work with still coming out and still having those same questions and thinking those same things and not really having a direct path to something or someone who can just say you know what you are still of massive importance you still have a place here in this world that you've been been born in you know and you still have purpose and you still have an impact to make it doesn't it doesn't matter 
that you have this diagnosis now. Yes, there are some things you're, you're not going to be able to do or that you'll find it more difficult or that you'll need more help with. But there absolutely is something that you need to be doing and that you need to contribute to the world. And I think the earlier that we, we can instill this belief in kids or with anyone who just recently receives a diagnosis, the better that will be. You know, it's yeah. trying to kind of stave off those feelings of, of just, you know, helplessness, which you will feel all those things are, are normal feelings. I still feel frustrated some days and I still get, you know, anxious some days about new things that I need to start. But it's it's just raising that level and saying, look, there's so much still available. There's so much still in front of you to, to achieve. And not just so that you can achieve that for yourself, but so you can help someone else. Because there'll be some there's someone else who's like five steps behind you who needs to hear what you have to say, who needs to hear about how you got through that thing, you know, and then that way we can keep just bringing up the next <laughs> the, the person behind us even if it's one person just help that one person yeah and so the work the work that I do with she's a VIP and the, and the coaching is around helping people really focus on a vision focus on the vision that they have for their lives and not about what they can physically see but I I really I really talk about vision being about the state of your heart and the state of your mind and the strength that lies within focusing on the bigger picture all of these phrases that we use that, <laughs> that are linked to sight but <laughs> focus on the on, on the bigger picture what is it that you can do to, to have just such a positive impact in, in the world yeah I love that it reminds me of in uh, Michelle Obama's autobiography she talks about how You've got to leave the door open and help other people get through that door that you've already walked through. That's like a rubbish synthesis of what the quote is about. But yeah, it's that kind of thing, isn't it? It's saying, I found this difficult and it's important that I give you that knowledge so that you find that slightly less difficult. Yeah. Yeah. And you go back a lot to that feeling that you had when you were 15 coming out of the hospital and that feeling of kind of, I suppose, how would you describe it? Sort of like loneliness and lostness. Yeah, if I can describe the 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 we were in, I mean we were in the hospital all day, so you didn't and we didn't leave. So by the time it was we we left, it was evening, like you know the sun had sun had pretty much gone down. But then I when I think back to that day, it was so um, it was like it was really misty but getting dark. But then I had had like a whole day of dilation drops. <laughs> so, <laughs> Actually, that was no. My vision was cloudy, but for another for another reason. But the but the actual in internal feeling of this is not good. And I had my mum with me at the time, who was like just completely worried and stressed. I can't remember what she was saying. In fact, I can't remember what she was saying at the time. But she was really worried. That's why the podcast is for those of us women, yes, who have visual impairments, but also the people who care for them because what they go through and what goes through their minds is as important as what's going on with the person with the need as well. Mm. Any number of feelings that actually were negative, there were none, there was nothing at the time I don't think that was thinking, all right, okay, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, you know, I was just thinking, well, how am I going to get, I was year 10. So that was like the start of GCSEs. How am I going to finish? exams 
you know, how quickly is this going to deteriorate? What am I going to do? And who is going to understand enough to be able to help me do what I need to do? So it was a, it was a really, yeah, I, I would say scary. I would say scary time. But like I say, I still see that in in the children that I work with and teens that, that I work with. I still see that fear. I see that fear in, in, in the parents, you know, who are just had all these dreams for their children. And I wouldn't say had. I, I always encourage them to still have them. We might need to go a different route, but we still got to have them. But you, but you have they have all, had all these dreams for their children, and then they're just so concerned about how it is they're gonna they're gonna make it make it through. Mm, yeah, it's that sort of mentoring, isn't it? So you mentioned that your your mum found it really difficult, and I think that's something that I've never really thought about before. There's a few things I hadn't thought about before with visual impairment. I think, I think number one was that um, you know if somebody is and. Forgive me if I get the phrases wrong here because, you know, I'm new, new to it, so I'll give it a go. Number one was um, if somebody is like, le- is it legally registered as blind? Is that the phrase or have I got that wrong? I think they call it like, legally. Legally, <laughs> legally registered in, in like, I think that's America. I just, uh, I'm registered, okay. I'm registered blind or registered, registered blind. severely sight impaired. Okay. Yeah. What's the registered bit about? I'm just interested. <laughs> well, <laughs> you're a number. You're another number. Okay. <laughs> The registration means that the social services are aware of your need. It then has implications for like your tax and that kind of thing. You know, it's just, okay. yeah, to know. And then I suppose in the future, if I needed any any more, any additional support, then yeah, you can have all of that thing. And people have things like my access to work and things like that are all, it's all tied into that. So as soon as you get that registration after your diagnosis, then there's, there is a lot of support that is that is open to you. So it's just a way of, of people being able to track or like inform people if, if they need to, I suppose. Yeah, inform inform people. Yeah, yeah. And then also if I, yeah, like I say, if I, if I need things, then yeah, it's, it's available yeah. to me. Yeah, sorry, I got a bit distracted there. Um, but yeah, so if, if somebody is registered as blind, that doesn't necessarily mean that they can't see anything. Um, no. Which is something I hadn't really thought about before. Oh, yeah, no, it's, it's the level of sight to which you have it's all done on levels and I actually couldn't even tell you what you know what it is but I know I'm severe enough to be registered as blind and not not partially sighted yeah and when I tell people that they're like no way you're not yeah (laughs) yeah I am (laughs) I don't use a cane or a dog or anything anything like that but um yeah yeah, I I am yeah (laughs) so for you you were saying it was it was the center of your sight that is Mm -hmm. more, more difficult yeah. So I suppose if we go, if we try and frame it in terms of when you were at school, and obviously it sounds like it was something that kind of came on gradually. How was it kind of, you said that you couldn't see the whiteboard at school. Yeah, well, it's a blackboard at the yeah. time, so the blackboard yeah. of chalk at the time. <laughs> so I couldn't see that. And I remember, I think I mean, it must have been before, it was before I was diagnosed and I knew that things were getting worse, but we were waiting for the appointments to go and find out what was wrong. Mm. Um, and I remember once, I remember more than once, a few times, standing outside of the science lab, and we had a particularly challenging teacher. Mm. Like, that that site doesn't even make sense, does it? Do you ever hear about challenging teachers? <laughs> <laughs> challenging students, but, but this teacher for me was particularly challenging in that yeah. she her lesson started on the hour and finished on the hour. She wasn't waiting for anyone. She wasn't, 
there was no, there was none of this kind of differentiation that we do now. <laughs> there was none of that. <laughs> it was just like I'm starting at ten, finishing at eleven. If you if you keep up, then you keep up. So I figured out right. I was really good at um, well, I just got very good at listening to what was going on. Mm. And she used to write. She used to write and speak. So as she wrote on the board, she would speak. And it's fine if you could if you could see, then you had that opportunity to kind of you know be a bit distracted as you as you can when you're in your tent talk to your friend or do something else and then get back on and catch up I didn't have that I didn't have that luxury because I couldn't see what was she was writing on the board so I literally had to spend the entire hour listening with intent and write everything that she was saying and keep up with how quickly she was speaking as well by the end of the lesson absolutely exhausted and I did that over and over and over again until until they they started to you know, realize actually there's a problem here and that that I needed some help. But it was that kind of coping mechanism that I use. And I think a lot of the people listening to this podcast will be able to relate to that, especially with girls when you're called in as an as an educational psychologist and you and you're probably not called in as much for girls as you are for boys. I don't know. Maybe you'll get like tweets even say that that is wrong. But I feel from my experience, it's the boys that get the, the EP referrals because of their behaviour, mm. because of the thing that they are struggling with, more than likely struggling with within the classroom. And mm. so that translates to them disrupting the behaviour. And then, you know, the school will say, well, this, this child can't behave. Some girls yeah. are a lot more difficult yeah. to, to diagnose because they, they learn those coping mechanisms. You know, I suppose if I was a 15 year old boy with this with this difficulty, having to deal with that challenging teacher who was just reeling off notes after, you know, it might have looked a bit different. But yeah. I just figured out that's what I needed to do to get by. So that, that's what I did. Exhausting. Absolutely exhausting and yeah and I think about that those kind those are the kinds of things I think about when I'm working with children and trying to help teachers classroom teachers understand exactly how difficult these things are for children within the classroom with any kind of difficulty Mm. no I think you're absolutely right I think particularly with the girls aspects it's something that we see in uh, autism ADHD research my my main areas of interest I suppose girls are just they'll just mask and people don't notice that anything's going on until they're kind of significantly further along the line than if it was boys. Yeah, well, and that is part of the reason why I'm I'm focused on women and girls. Yeah. Moment. I don't know what it will evolve into. It might evolve into everyone's a VIP, but at the moment, it's the it's the women and girls that I'm focused on because of that reason. Is that girls will mask. For a long time and they'll cope for a very long time often until it's too late you don't see what's going on underneath the surface emotionally with, with them and we know that if they're not emotionally they become emotionally unstable if they get into a mindset where they believe that actually they can't do it and what they're doing isn't enough then none of the academic stuff is going to work you know, or it will be severely impacted. So raising the self-esteem of girls, of young women who, yes, are living with a disability, in this case, a visual impairment, but helping them to understand that it's okay. What we're not trying to do is just develop these coping mechanisms that, that suppress everything, everything we're feeling all the time is really important because that's, that suppression is, is not good for anyone. Yeah. Absolutely. I think, like you said, it's just knackering, isn't it? 
You can't pretend to be someone you're not. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I've done that first. I first hand, I have done that. I've done that, and sometimes I forget, and I still try and do that. But at the end of it, or when it's all t- when it's all too much, and I'm completely <laughs> full because you, the more you try and push something down, you know, you keep pushing the stuff down. There's not going to be enough space for it all to. to it's going to end up coming out in some way, shape, or form, and it doesn't end up coming out very well if you <laughs> if you keep keep trying to suppress those things so yeah I'm you know I'm on the learning journey as well you know yeah. I'm constant constant work in progress but what I want to do is be able to help you know I've been on on the journey for a little while now so if I can help others realize a little bit more of their potential a little bit more of who they are that you know their their disability doesn't define doesn't define who they are yeah. then that'll be a good job well done I think absolutely I think we're all works in progress aren't we I think no one's no one's the finished article absolutely I loved what you said earlier about talking to parents about their children who had kind of been diagnosed with various things or, or just visual impairments and this idea that you know they instead of saying they had hopes and dreams and they, they still have these dreams and these expectations for their children and keeping those expectations really high you know is that something that you're trying to really promote you know with your coaching yeah so uh, like I say in terms of working with the people who have the have the disability is one is one thing but also making sure that the people looking after and caring for them is you know that they remain positive that they remain strong that they that they also don't lose their identity in in the caring for that child or that young person is also really important I mean I suppose I'm in a quite a privileged position in that I get to see like the whole process for a lot of the children I get to see the point at which a parent will come to me and say I think there's something there's something not right here or she's or she or he is having this difficulty in this thing what can we do you know and starting that starting from that point and doing that investigation of what works well for them what doesn't where is it they're finding those difficulties and sometimes yes at that point we can we can figure it out and it's not a major thing and we just need to put a few things in place and you know that child is fine Uh, other times and increasingly more there are children who need a lot further investigation a lot more work to be done to help them and us all find out what's what's going on unfortunately unfortunately fortunately sometimes that means you you want a a label you need something to tell you whether you know it's autism yes diagnosis of autism or adhd or some any kind of visual impairment hearing impairment that kind of thing you want you need something to hang (laughs) to then hang what you do next on what I find is that parents will put so much effort into getting to that point of diagnosis and it does take a lot of effort now any number of people listening will will understand the hurdles and the hoops and all the things you have to go through to even get a diagnosis you know from the point of referral to 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 diagnosis can be up and down and parents carers will use everything they have both spiritually emotionally physically monetarily everything they can possibly get their hands on use every resource energy time to get that diagnosis and then what (laughs) you know I think there's the there's the there's the idea that if we get this diagnosis then everything will be all right 
everything will be all right and that's that's not the reality i i wish it was in some way i wish it was that was the end you know of that because you because you are it's like an uphill battle just to get to that point you come out with this report and it's like okay says he's got this or she's got got this but that to me that's when the real work begins after getting that getting that report Mm. you know reading that report sometimes i can even read some of these reports and think "Mm, it's old as soon as the ink's dry it's like it's out of date almost you know because the child has has grown uh, or developed some different behaviors or has or has different needs um and it's what comes after that after that point is the thing that's going to make or break the whole kind of the ongoing process a diagnosis can yes mean that you can you you may well be able to access more resources that teachers in school will have a better understanding of how to how to meet the needs but I still think that only goes so far to making life something that will be a positive experience for both the child and the parent or or the carer so it's what we do what what are the steps that we take and I'm just I'm busy developing um, something at the moment that will actually go towards helping parents and the the person child with a disability just stop at that point at that point of diagnosis and say where am I? What do I have around me? Who do I have around me? What are the things in my life that I need to kind of get into some kind of order so that I can make the next steps? Because you can be given all of the practical things you can do in terms of get involved with this group and find this organisation and buy this or do that. But again, I come back to the person and how is that person going to develop and be able to manage manage not just manage but I suppose thrive with in in life and in in the next in the next step so it's that whole finding your direction after that diagnosis is is really really important Mm. yeah so if parents and the child even might feel like the diagnosis is the end goal but for but for us so senkos and eps and and techs it's it's not the end that's really I would say the beginning is sort of a short form way of saying you kind of fit into this category, but actually we still need to look at you as as an individual and what's actually going to help you as a person going forward. So then this idea about kind of stopping and thinking after a diagnosis and sort of saying, okay, well, what's next? Is that sort of the form of like a a kind of a model or like a a coaching sort of framework? What kind of? Yeah, so I've got, I've developed like a vision, a vision centered process that I would um, use in my coaching. And it's, and yes, it's drawn on like different things that, that you can use. But I like, I like the idea of like, you know, focusing on vision. So it's things like looking at the things that go, just going, stepping back and looking at the things that you value. So what is important? What is important to to you? What's important to your child? What's important to the to the family? Whoever whoever's doing the work, you know, kind of it will it will work for them, and that will help. I think direct your thoughts as you go forward. You know, when you think about your values, um, are you worried if you if you find yourself thinking about which I think probably you know my mum was probably at this point thinking about what well, what will people say you know what my community say what will it look like to my community so it's not about that 
you know it's about looking at the things that, that are important to you and understanding really understanding your values then looking at identity and knowing who you are so knowing really really understanding your strengths and skills and majoring on them and not work not you know working on the things that you're not that good at <laughs> you know if you're not that good at them someone else needs to help you with that that's fine but what are the things that you are that you're that you're good at um so yeah looking at different ways of, of figuring out yeah just who you are what your strengths are and then making sure that you strengthen that key areas of your life are strengthened in a way that works for you so being physically strong being physically fit is really important as the person with with the additional needs because we know that nutrition and health and wellness then feeds into you being able to do all kinds of all kinds of different things you know and it just you know it's it's good for it's good for you to ensure that you are physically well your emotional and mental health as well how is it that you're looking after your emotional mental health and lots of people do this in lots of different ways but it's finding out what works for you and making sure that that and that it's something that you can use I also talk about like financial health. A lot of people who have disabilities and who are caring for are, um, are juggling kind of personal dependence payments and different things like that that make can make, can put a strain on finances. So it's kind of making sure that you are getting what you need. Are there parts of work that you can do? Just being able to manage the, the finance that's coming in and making sure that you that you have you have what you need you know the stress that finance can put on people so it's about just making those those areas those key areas as, as strong as possible mm. and then finding ways of putting all of this in place that works for you and your life so it's looking at your values looking at your strengths and then thinking well how is this then going to work for work for me how can I make sure that my emotional health is strong? How can I make sure that my finances, my physical health is strong, but not copying someone, someone else? We talk about individual needs. We all have individual needs. We all have unique ways in which we need to do things. We need to make sure that people find those ways. And then the process of organizing, orientating your life towards this new way. You know, you've got this diagnosis, you found this thing out. We've now got to adjust life to this new way of doing things. There's going to be a lot of changes and a lot of shifts. And that might just be for the individual, but for a family as well. If there are younger children, you know, maybe slightly older children, the whole family is going to have to adjust to maybe there's just one person in the family who, who has these all these additional needs. And how do we work that out? And then the final way is nurture. So I've spelt the word vision. Final way is nurture, where you, um, it's about the self-care. Understanding that self-care isn't selfish, isn't a selfish thing. That as a parent, as a carer of someone with additional needs, you have to, got to find a way of looking after your, yourself, of looking after the things that you are, that you are learning and that you're, that you're developing. And as the one with the, with the needs as well, again looking after yourself and that it's not always about proving to the next person I can do that I can do that as well as you and I can you know because I've been there too and that can <laughs> that doesn't that doesn't help anyone that certainly doesn't help you you know so about being able to step back and look after yourself do the things that you need to do to support your your whole being so yeah 
that's kind of the vision centered process in a in a nutshell but it's very it's very bespoke so i would first understand who the person is that i'm working with and then figure the way through help them with the way through Mm. it sounds like a really sort of a really useful model so you said it can be used for both people with visual impairments themselves and their families yeah Um, most definitely yeah Yeah. and i've even had people who aren't visually impaired um but are vision impaired Mm. it's it's like they're saying saying, well you know i just don't know what i'm going to do next and i don't know so you know it's kind of like even though it's yeah as they are it's the visually impaired people mm. and their families you know I have people who just need a bit of help with clarifying what what it is they need to do and I think it works for for a whole range of people absolutely I, it's sort of something that you'd use when somebody is feeling lost isn't it you know a way of and that, that relates right back to that feeling that you felt when you came out of the hospital when you're 15 you know you're and trying to try and make make things better for people that are in a similar situation. It sounds like a really good go-to, actually, that could be used for loads of different things. I'll try and um, link some more information to it, because I think you've made some some episodes based on that, haven't you? Yes, yeah, yeah. I have made some episodes based on that. And, uh... yeah, so that'd be, I think that would be quite a useful tool for people to go and have a look at, definitely. I think we're kind of coming up towards the end of the podcast. And I think what I'd... I would really like to kind of talk to you about for the last little bit is just to talk about what what can EPs take from this? What would you like an educational psychologist to know about working with people with visual impairments in general or kind of more specifically working with um, children and young people with visual yeah. impairments? I mean, in my experience of working with EPs, they're very much they have been very much interested in what the child is feeling and what the child is thinking and that need that absolutely 100% needs to needs to carry on that's not that's something that doesn't need to change at all I suppose with working with a child or, or children with with a visual impairment it's just understanding I suppose how difficult emotionally they feel I think you can be told, oh, this child has a visual impairment and then you can at surface level think, well, what can they see? What can't they see? But it definitely goes deeper than than that. It's how they feel about not being able to see and not being able to do what other children can do. And, and, you know, as I talk about it and as a Senko, you know, I, I have children with every kind of need across the board, you know, and I have worked with every kind of need. And I think this goes this goes across the board, really, this whole thing about actually really understanding what that child is is feeling. It's more difficult to elicit that from teenagers because they won't necessarily tell you. But having that awareness and understanding that it's like no matter how much of a mask the kids put up or how much, uh, you know, they say, well, I can do that or, you know, that that's all right. Actually, it's it's quite a. It's quite a scary time because they don't know. Some children's vision may be de- deteriorating faster than than others. Some slower. Some are different, you know, different rates, and they're dealing with with that, and trying to grow up and trying to do exams and trying to be fit in with the friends and trying to do all of that stuff. So, yeah, just that real 
awareness of the emotional impact that this is having on a child would be would be a good thing mm. to, to start with I think. and looking at the emotional side of things rather than the technical kind of medical side of, I think EPs yeah I mean that that's our role anyway really isn't it it's you know we're not medical professionals we're not here to to tell you about the nuance of, of you know how far a child can see and whether they can see the board if they're sat at the front of the class or if they're at the back of the class you know that should be uh, easy enough but it's yeah I think that's a really nice point that is about the emotions behind it and I love your kind of emphasis on identity um, and anyone who's, who's heard my other two um, two podcasts will know that I'm sort of very very much into that that idea of exploring identity um, in order to help young people yeah I just I just think if you if you if you can do that if you can we're not going to completely you're not going to completely dispel the feelings of feeling inadequate I don't think or insecure or you know finding finding things finding things hard like I say you know I'm 40 plus <laughs> and <laughs> and I still feel those I still have those feelings I still feel those things but it's having that idea and with EPs not so much but with teachers who may be who may be listening it's just really I mean I'm not teaching granny to suck eggs here but we have to really get our heads around the fact that these children are only with us in school for such a short, short amount of time if you're teaching 11 to 16 five years 11 to 18 seven years after that they've possibly got another 70 years to live you know all being well 70 years you know we can do the education yes the education is important they need to get those those qualifications in order to move on but i always hold what is the point of all of that when at the end you have a child a young person who then is is unable to use any of it in the world in the workplace because they don't have that that self esteem and that confidence hasn't been built they don't know who they are their identity you know or they or they place a lot of their identity on on the negative rather than the positive there just doesn't seem to me to be much point so yes the focus on emotion the focus on the personal development is is really important maybe that's what EP should suggest instead for visually because you just put loads of personal development stuff down don't put anything down around you know just leave out all the stuff about <laughs> about in the classroom they need to know who they are <laughs> exactly don't, don't put anything about math no, no English <laughs> I mean we could do we could do both couldn't we we could do both. <laughs> major on <laughs> yeah. yeah I think what you've really highlighted to me today is also the importance of mentorship if you're a young person who's just been told that they they've got a, a, a visual impairment that's going to get worse over time or um you know that that they're going to find things more difficult in the classroom because of some diagnosis that they've had and where do you look to where do you go and actually you're saying you know maybe you need somebody who's already walked that path before who can help you to work out that everything's going to be okay in the end and life will be a little bit different and your identity is going to be a little bit different and it's going to shift but you can still do everything that you want to do um it's just a case of, of almost having that support and knowing where to get it from. Yeah, isn't that what I'm doing is 
it's kind of it's stuff that you can find all over you know you can type in visual impairment on youtube and find find people who are who are doing things but sometimes and you know you can join facebook groups and you can do all that kind of thing sometimes though it can be a little bit one-sided and you need that conversation you need that kind of back and forth with with someone and it's being careful as well you know sometimes in the groups there can be some level of negativity mm. there can be different you know so it's just a way of bringing people into a space that is is about them and they're not like you know the, their thoughts aren't drowned out by the noise of the needs of other people you can't do all the things that I'm talking about you know fulfilling your purpose and having impact and being able to to be of service to someone else actually you can't do all those things if you don't know where you stand in the picture and I think if you're coming out and you're, you're just being diagnosed and you need that help you don't necessarily need the amount of noise that there is around you kind of need a, a quiet space to get quiet to think about what it is you need and then you can move out and help others put on your own oxygen mask before this or whatever exactly yeah and I never understood that I never understood that until like you say that and I was just like that's mad why would I do that when there's a two-year-old next to me but actually yeah I understand <laughs> you pass out halfway through yeah yeah it wouldn't help either of you would it <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay right I think that takes us to the end then yeah. It's, it's it's been brilliant having you on it's lovely to have a chat i've learned so much just just talking to you and listening to you on, on your podcast and i think whenever something new comes up for me as a trainee some new like you know a, a child who's got a diagnosis which i'm not aware of yeah um, i kind of get blindsided by it for a minute mm-hmm. and sort of want to go and research and look at all these things but i think it all comes down to seeing people as individuals and and treating them as such yeah most definitely yes thank you very much bambi and uh, yeah Yeah. okay bye my thanks to ella mansfield for inviting me onto the agents of hope podcast and i'll leave a link in the show notes so that you can check out the show for yourself if you found this episode helpful please share it with someone and it would be great if you could leave a review as this will help others find the show too Make sure you use the links below and follow on Instagram and Facebook. If you feel that you need more help in any of the areas that I've spoken about, you can go to my website at sheisavip.com and book a free discovery call where I'd be happy to talk more about how I can help you. Until the next episode, remember that you are a very important person who holds a very important place in the world and that you have a very important purpose to fulfill.